In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Monday, Monday, Monday. It's just another manic Monday. Remember that song? Showing my age, huh? I was like, I think that was Suzanne Vega. Remember that walk like an Egyptian? It's just another manic Monday. That was that other song they had. How you guys doing today? You feeling all right? Feeling pretty good myself. I'm hopeful that the Rays of sunshine are basking you in their golden glow, providing you with a source of vitamin D and vital energy to get you up and moving and put a smile on your face. Hope you had a great weekend, and I hope you're enjoying the True Life Podcast. We just went through the works, or some works, of the master storyteller Joseph Campbell. Who taught us about myth he taught us to look to the past so that we could see where our future lies we are about to get into mr marshall McLuhan. spotlight on philosophy marshall McLuhan, my friends this is a great segue we're going to go from the past into the future hopefully we can apply what we have learned from Mr. Joseph Campbell to where we're going. I'm gonna try and tie it together. What I think you will find, what I hope you will see, what I am trying to convey is the circular pathway that we are taking. You see, Mr. Marshall McLuhan thinks, and let me be clear, Mr. Marshall McLuhan was a philosopher in the late 70s, early 80s. And he had some very fascinating ideas about where we are headed. According to Marshall McLuhan, the medium is the message. What we mean by that is the 
medium, be it TV, be it radio, be it print in books, linear print, platforms, wherever it is, whatever medium you use to digest your information changes the way you think. We process information from different senses and different parts of the brain. It's incredibly important to understand that mechanism of action, how it changes the way we think, how it opens up to us a new field of vision or it narrows our field of vision. You may have seen my video on my YouTube channel called The Penny Test. For those of you that are unaware of the penny test, I will run you through it quickly. Imagine taking a penny and you set it on your table and then you stand up and you look down at that penny. You can see from looking directly above it that it's circular. It has engravings on it. It has a little design, a president. It has some words written on it, some numbers written on it. You can also see that it has a bit of thickness to it. You can see the, the markings, the color, the texture. You can see all these things when you stand up and look down at the penny from that point of view. However, if you slowly bend down, you bend your knees and then you, you bring your eyes to the level of the table and you look at that same penny in the same position and you're at eye level with the penny, what you will see is a straight line. It's a good experiment to try with your kids. It's a good experiment to try for yourself. And what this experiment shows is that when we change our point of view, when we change how we are given the information, the very same object, becomes almost uninterpretable. It can lead to incredible abstract thoughts when in fact the first view it was a circle. We saw texture. We saw engravings. We saw all the texture. We saw the size, the shape. However, when you get down at eye level and you really look at it at eye level, you will see a straight line. You will no longer see the penny as you know it, but you will see a straight line. According to Marshall McLuhan, this is exactly what's happened to our society. When you look back at the Renaissance and you saw these great sculptures, these great poems, these, this incredible verse that was written that made you feel, that helped you to envision, that painted a picture in your mind. We, in Western society, are currently unable to recreate that because of inventions like the printing press. Because we have decided to utilize linear print. Linear print leads to linear thinking. He goes on to talk about hot and cold mediums. A hot medium is a medium in which the vision gets put in your head for you without any critical thinking. Think of YouTube, think of television, think of movies. You don't necessarily need to do any critical thinking. 
the idea has been put there for you. You do not need to think critically. The motive, the idea, the lesson, it's there for you in a digestible format. However, when you read a book, when you listen to the radio, now you have to come up with the mental picture yourself. You're not given the mental picture. It's not shot into your into your ocular membranes and then implanted in your head. The problem with that type of medium, the problem with the hot medium is that it leads people into very narrow points of view. And that's what you see today. You see these echo chambers on platforms. You see people not even thinking critically, but just given a message, whether it's a CNN message or a Fox News message, they are given their ideas, they're given their marching orders, and they go out and execute them. Marshall McLuhan talks a lot about brain chemistry and the different centers of the brain and, and how we process all this information. I'd like to read to you some quotes now so you can get a better idea of what he was thinking. One of the most notable quotes that Marshall McLuhan is famous for is making the claim that we will be headed into digital feudalism. Think of where our government was when the Founding Fathers came, where it was in the 60s. Think of the progression of our government. Think of where we're at now, almost ungovernable. Think about the riots in the streets, the different movements around the world, the way people are reacting, the different camps, the, the division. Why is that? Is it possible that the medium we are currently using, the social media platforms we're currently using, are driving this new behavior? Marshall McLuhan believes human beings are the sex organs of robots. He believes that we are in a way devolving back into a sort of feudalism. But let me read you some quotes and then we're going to get into this topic of digital feudalism. Quote, societies have always been shaped more by the nature of the media by which men communicate than by the content of the communication. Ads are the cave art of the 20th century. There are no passengers on spaceship Earth. We are all crew. Art, at its most significant, is a distant early warning system that can always be relied on to tell the old culture what is beginning to happen to it. The modern Little Red Riding Hood, reared on singing commercials, has no object has no objection to being eaten by the wolf. The business of the advertiser is to see that we go about our business with some magic spell or tune or slogan throbbing quietly in the background of our minds. Historians and archaeologists will one day discover that the ads of our time are the richest and most faithful reflections 
that any society ever made of its entire range of activities. Madison Avenue is a very powerful aggression against private consciousness, a demand that you yield your private consciousness to public manipulation. Affluence creates poverty. The new electric independence recreates the world in the image of a global village. The more the data banks record about each one of us, the less we exist. I think of art at its most significant as a do, D-E-W line, a distant early warning system that can always be relied on to tell the old culture what is, what is beginning to happen to it. <gasps> Politics will eventually be replaced by imagery. The politician will be only too happy to abdicate in favor of his image because the image will be much more powerful than he could ever be. Think about that one for a minute. People can't get elected without a good image. Innumerable confusions and a feeling of despair invariably emerge in periods of great technological and cultural transition. Appetite is essentially insatiable and where it operates as a criterion of both action and enjoyment, that is everywhere in the Western world since the 16th century, it will infallibly discover congenial agencies, mechanical and political, of expression. As the unity of the modern world becomes increasingly a technological rather than a social affair, the techniques of the arts provide the most valuable means of insight into the real direction of our own collective purposes. A commercial society whose members are essentially aesthetic and indifferent in social ritual has to be provided with blueprints and specifications for evoking the right tone for every occasion. Let us think about that for a minute. In this world of commodification and digitization, in this world of Facebook likes, in this world of wanting our image to be seen, we are taking our cues from an algorithm that doesn't truly understand us or doesn't truly understand our purpose. I wanna tie this particular quote to a story told by the previous spotlight philosopher, Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell tells a story, I think it was in Sri Lanka, about a ritual for young boys. This particular culture, the children at a young age at the festivals, at the parties, and in their daily life are accustomed to the painted masks and rattles. These painted masks and rattles signify the demons, the forces of nature, the emotions, the unexplainable miracles, death. They symbolize all these grand feelings and the structure of their society. They represent necessary evils, unexplained evils. They also explain the methodology, the rules of the tribe, the norms, the social norms of the tribe. 
So up to the age of 14, the children are exposed to these masks and rattles, these forces of nature. When the boy turns 14, the men of the tribe, they come in late at night and they grab the boy out of his sleep. And they're wearing these masks that represent the trials and tribulations. They represent fear. They represent death. These painted masks represent the rules of the tribe. The child has been conditioned to be afraid of these masks since birth. When the men go in and grab the child, they bring him out into the area, a common area, and they have a fight. The men attack the boy. They fight the boy and they let the boy win the fight. It's an ordeal. The fight takes place for quite some time. And after the boy wins the fight, the men take off the masks and the boy sees the men behind the masks are not spirits, but they are in fact the men of the tribe, his uncles, his father, the elders. And as soon as the boy wins the fight and they take the mask off, they put the mask on the boy. So they take it off and they put it on the boy. Fundamentally showing him that you are these forces. You are these forces of nature. You are the anger. And that now you're part of the tribe. You've been initiated. It's a great way for the child to physically understand that he is in fact the person that is the forces of nature. Additionally, it serves the purpose of bringing him into the fold. You are now one of us. You now understand why we have to do these things and we expect you to participate. I brought that story up due to the fact of our lack of ritual initiation in our time. And I think it ties to Marshall McLuhan's talk about losing rituals and now having to be given a blueprint of how things work. Instead of physically acting them out, instead of manifesting these rituals, being part of it, taking part in the ritual with people we love and understanding that now we are in fact those same masks. We are the very forces of nature that we do not understand and at times hate. That's us. We are those masks. However, in today's world, we're lacking that. And so people must f continue to fight that mask. And they put those masks on other races. They put those masks on other genders. They put those masks on a lot of other things when they should be putting those masks on themselves. You see what we got going on here? We're tying the past to the future. And what Marshall McLuhan is going to try and do is show us how we're regressing. Let me speak to you a moment about this term called digital feudalism. Let me try and explain to you how today's platform marketing, how today's social media is in fact a lot like an older form of government that was used in the dark ages, mainly feudalism. Let me go ahead and define feudalism so that we're working from a similar point of view. Feudalism, it was the dominant social system in medieval Europe in which the nobility held lands from the crown in exchange for military service. Vassals were in turn tenants of the nobles, while the peasants were obliged to live on their lord's land and give him homage, labor, 
and a share of the produce, notionally in exchange for military protection. So if that's the definition we're working from, let me try and explain how today's platform economies are similar. If you think about the way social media platforms give away or more accurately sell virtual land plots, it has strong similarities to medieval procedures by which English feudal lords gave away land to secure loyal vassals and tenants. In these terms, the price for joining, becoming profitable, or a full-time influencer is an almost literal feudal relationship of dependency to the platform. Further, the platform even sports a parallel to feudalism's hierarchical chains of sub-infudation where the Lord could distribute land to subordinates who could give it away further, creating further chains of mutual dependency. Look at the way, for example, Joe Rogan's on YouTube. He is living on a land a virtual land, a virtual plot provided by YouTube. I know it's Spotify now. However, when he was on YouTube, he was given this platform. He was given this land to, to you know, farm and to be successful on and to promote his product, his produce. He was able to break that up further by giving time to people like Sam Harris or Sam Tripoli or the Weinstein brothers or Whoever Joe Rogan brings on his show, those people are almost guaranteed to get a million followers. They're going to be put in front of so many people, they can't help but be successful. It's similar to the Oprah effect. However, that's one example of how they're the same. The economic model that drove the growth of the industrial society of the 19th and 20th century, it was capitalism, the production of goods and services. What we see now is an economic model of the so-called information society, the control of information and knowledge, the control of distribution. A look back to the medieval times or dark ages shows us an example of this same strategy, which may even provide a roadmap for where we're going or the strategic plan of today's information platforms. This was the strategy of the church, of the medieval church. The church was able to function with an almost limitless power because it largely controlled the circulation of information, even the materials that represented it. The church was intertwined with the monarchs and noble bureaucracies in its functioning, at times more powerful than both. An example is, think about Google and Amazon and Facebook YouTube, all these social platforms today, they are intertwined with our government and governments around the world in in a very similar relationship. The same way that the majority of noblemen were illiterate to what the church was doing, the policies it was creating, it's the same way that our leaders and our politicians are ignorant or illiterate in the ways of coding, in the ways that the social platform is actually changing the behavior of the populace. And that's what gives so much control to these platform economies. The same way the church had control, the distribution of information, the censoring of information, the limiting of information. I do not believe that 
the leaders in our society, mainly the boomer generations who lead large Fortune 500 companies or the politicians in Congress or senators or even the people running for president, I do not believe they have the mental capacity to truly understand the radical behavioral modification taking place via neuroplasticity taking place in the minds of all the people. Take education, for example. The politicians are holding the children and schools hostage right now with this COVID-19 crisis in order to gin up votes for whatever candidate or whatever team that they want. What they fail to understand is this political maneuver in education has sentenced millions of young people to serfdom. The gap between haves and have-nots is continuing to deepen at a greater pace than ever before right now. The government, the state, has given up education to the social media platforms, i.e. the new church, the new religion. I don't think that they understand that they are solidifying the end of both their parties and the government as we know it. You know, I, I'm always reminded when I get here, I'm always reminded of the great Chick Hearns who would say, this is in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed, the lights are out, the butter's getting hard, the eggs are cooling and the jello is jiggling. It's been jiggling for a long time. The government and education as we know it are over. The social media platforms, the new church is in fact the new authority. It's a return to feudalism digitally, hence digital feudalism. We are losing the ability to differentiate between dreams and fantasy. You know, dreams are something that, that happened to you. Dream is maybe your soul, your unconsciousness speaking to you of what you can accomplish, what is possible. A fantasy is something you construct. A dream is building something and inspiring people and sending out the right message. A fantasy is turning into a blue mermaid hermaphrodite that can fly through the air and breathe water. You see the difference there? I think that is a good entry point into some of the ideas of McLuhan. It's, it's complex and challenging and it, it goes further than anything you may have read in a long time. It's thrilling and positively thrilling to, to see so much McLuhan thinking appear nearly a decade after his death. I'm really looking forward to exploring more and I hope this is a pretty good intro for you guys to get excited about. We're gonna be doing some deep dives and talking more about his ideas, where we're at, some of the similarities and projections and and Hopefully this will also be a way for you to better make sense of what's happening in your environment. Like my grandpa always said, if you want a new idea, you should pick up a really old book. I love you guys. We doing some more on McLuhan all week. So get out your pen and pad and put a smile on your face and put your thinking cap on. I love you. Aloha. Aloha everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone 
the world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.